0: If you have your Bibles, turn to Jeremiah, the book of, and uh, we are continuing in this series, Garden of Hope, and uh, it's wonderful that we're actually getting to some hope in these sections. You've been waiting. We've been tilling the soil. We've been uprooting. We've been destroying. We've been listening to devastation. We haven't actually been doing it. We've been listening to God talk about it. And uh, finally, we're getting to some sections where we can talk about hope. So this is good. I, I'm guessing that many of you like to hear good news, right? So this is a good day. It's, it's good to be able to share some good news. Um, I don't think there are many of us that when somebody comes to us and says, I've got some bad news and some good news, that we say, oh, give me that bad news. Maybe we say, oh, give me the bad news first and get out of the way so and get on the good news, but... We like to hear good news, right? So um, I uh, came across some good news, bad news situations for pastors uh, that are perhaps fitting today on this uh, pastor appreciation day. The the good news is you baptized seven people today in the river. The bad news is you lost two of them in the swift current. (laughs) Good news is the board accepted your job description the, the way that you wrote it exactly. The bad news is they were so inspired by it that they formed a search committee to find somebody capable of filling that position. Good news is, your women's softball team finally won a game. The bad news is, they beat your men's softball team. And the good news is, church attendance rose dramatically in the last three weeks. Bad news is, you were on vacation. Uh, no, I think the. Beyond the most pessimistic and negative of those of us here, and there are some of us here like that, but most of us, we like to hear good news. Uh, We like to hear uh, things on the upswing, especially if things have been on the down low, right? We like to hear good news, especially when we've been hearing a lot of bad news. And so, again, today we continue our study of the book of Jeremiah, weeks and weeks, chapters and chapters of, of... disobedience and um, failure and God's coming judgment and destruction, we are ready for some good news. And we got a little taste last week as we looked at Jeremiah 29 in particular. But as we move into this next section, we uh, arrive at a section of the book, indeed, where the doom and gloom and despair uh, seems to kind of give way uh, and make room for some good news. or. Some gospel, really, and so we hear that word a lot, the gospel, the good news. I, I'm here today to proclaim the gospel uh, out of the book of Jeremiah, and so we get to think about uh, the, the good news, what God's doing, uh, and, and so Jeremiah's giving some voice here to God's intention to bring about good, to bring about good news, forgiveness of sin, renewal of relationship, hope for the future. And we get to see it in these, in these passages. So turn to chapter 30 and just keep your, uh, your finger there, keep your Bible open. Chapter 30 and, and these next few chapters, 30 through 33, and you'll get to look at them all in, in greater detail uh, in this week as you uh, participate in your growth groups and, and spend some time there. But um, this section has become known as the book of consolation or the book of comfort, and uh, it's kind of a book within the bigger book and it seems that the, that the writings of Jeremiah, the prophecies of Jeremiah that that really spoke of and centered on the redeeming work of God with the people of Judah have been have been kind of brought into this section of his book. Remember there was a not, not a lot of chronology or apparent thought given to the arrangement of Jeremiah's book, except for these three chapters, or four chapters in particular, um, show uh, just a great demonstration where God is consoling the people. God is assuring them that indeed they will suffer the consequences of their disobedience through the invasion and the exile uh, to Babylon. But there will be a time when they will not only be brought back to their homeland, but they will be brought back into relationship with God. It's a book of promises that would have, as you can imagine, those, first, those exiles reading these promises in exile. You can imagine that these promises would have given them great courage, great hope that one day indeed this will end. And it's a book of promises really that, that encourage us as well. That in the midst of whatever exile we're facing or we're in the midst of, that there will come a day, there will come a time when God will bring newness, when God will speak something new into our life and into our situation. And so we got to listen pretty carefully to to these things. So let me read just these first few verses. In fact, stand with me. I'm going to have you read them with me. Just the first few verses of Jeremiah 30 kind of serves as the preamble in a sense to this book of consolation and kind of sets the themes, uh, the main themes of this section um, out uh, for us, the, the themes that will come back over and over. So read these words with me, would you? This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Write in a book all the words I have spoken to you. The days are coming, declares the Lord. When I will bring my people Israel and Judah back from captivity and restore them to the land I gave their forefathers to possess, says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. In case you were wondering if it was the word of the Lord, he tells us that it was at the beginning and the end, and then I just reinforce it there for you at the end of our reading. Um, Again, the days are coming. Did you hear it there? And and most scholars agree that that all of this section of Jeremiah's writings and his his prophecies were probably right around the time of 587 BC. And this is about 10 years after the time that we talked about last week, when the first uh, people from Jerusalem, uh, Jewish folks from Jerusalem, were being deported, exiled to Babylon. About 10 years later, in 587, Jerusalem was ransacked by Babylon. Babylonian armies came and just, it was all over at this point. We'll be reading about that in chapters still to come. But they ransacked it, and now the larger exile was taking place. And so more of the Jewish folks from Jerusalem were being exiled to Babylon. So they think that these words were coming to Jeremiah right in this time. And chapter 32 gives a little bit of this context, but... Jeremiah was, was, just as they were all being taken, was given this word that, yes, this is happening, but be ready for what is to come. The, the, the options, the, the days that are coming when God will yet do a new thing. And it is this new thing that we long to hear about, isn't it? It's this new thing that we long to experience, that we long to discover, in our own lives, and, uh, and so we get to hear about it today. So uh, Jeremiah, on one hand, it's all about the new thing, but at the same time, for there to be a new thing, there has to be a what? An old thing. And so to really celebrate the, the great victory and the wonderful deliverance that they will experience when God brings them back from exile, Jeremiah still is quick to acknowledge the problem that they were facing now, a couple of years ago, if, if you don't know, my daughter, she is not a fan of media. Really, especially visual, like video or movies. And uh, she's kind of one of her things, and that's, that's great, really, ultimately with me. But it, it makes it a little challenging sometimes. A, few, a couple years ago, we wanted to have like a family just watch a movie together, and, and we were thinking about the movie Up. And some of you have seen that movie? Yeah, some of you really like that movie, OK? Um, and, and so we thought, hey, can we just watch the, the movie? We'll watch the movie together. It'd be great. It was a day off from school, I think, is what we were going on. So we planned to watch this movie. And, but we knew it was going to be a little bit hard to slide past Katie or to get her you know, intrigued in this option for the day. And so I just kind of said, you know, it's really neat, animated you know, cartoons, not really real. Um, maybe we could all go and watch this movie together. It'd be wonderful. And Katie looked at me and she looked at Kyla and she said, no, no, nope, not going to do it, not going. We said, well, it, you know, Katie, it's going to be fine. We'll be there. It's nice. It's gentle. It's, it's not that big of a deal. There's a happy ending, we're, we're sure. And uh, I still haven't actually seen the movie, so I'm not actually sure. But she said this. She looked at me and she said, well, Dad, is there a problem? And I said, I don't know. Is there a problem? He goes, no, is there a problem? Like in the movie, is there a... And I looked at her and I said, oh, oh you mean is there a plot? Is there a, a storyline? Is there a conflict? And, and I said, well, yeah, I'm sure there probably is some sort of a problem. Everything has a problem. When it really comes down to it, this is the life that we live. There's conflict, there's plot, there's story, there's problems, and Jeremiah is not going to let us ignore the fact that there are problems with the people of Judah and there are problems in our own lives. Without problems, then we have no need for deliverance. We have no need for newness. And so within this section of Scripture, he is quick to acknowledge the problems of the people's sin and disobedience. There is a problem. They will pay dearly for their sin and for their disobedience. Uh, Listen to just a couple of these passages from chapter thirty. Uh, just a few sections starting this off. He, he writes things like this. How awful that day will be. None will be like it. It will be a time of trouble for Jacob. But he will be saved out of it. There's this little, but he will be saved. Out. But before the but he will be saved out of it, listen, how awful that day will be. None will be like it. Look at the next one. Verse 11. God says to the people, I will discipline you, but only with Justice. I will not let you go entirely unpunished. I will not let you go entirely unpunished. There is consequences. There is a problem here that we have to deal with. And I think I have one more. Uh, This is what the Lord says. Your wound is incurable. Your injury beyond healing. There is no one to plead your cause. No remedy for your sore. No healing for you all your allies have forgotten you they care nothing for you i have struck you as an enemy would and punished you as would the cruel because your guilt is so great and your sins so many would you say that he's acknowledging the problem here absolutely it's pretty clear that jeremiah is not wanting us to just kind of slide by and not deal with this this these problems and the words that kind of come out there, the trouble and the discipline and the loss. And I think as we hear this today, we have to realize that, that again, Jeremiah is not wanting us to invalidate our own problems, not wanting us to kind of slough over, kind of slide over the issues that we have faced, the problems that have come either by as a result of our own disobedience, our own sin, or that perhaps of others that we have interacted with in life. The text reminds us that we too will have to face the consequences experience. Loss, feel the discipline, not go entirely unpunished. Our our consequence, we will have to face the consequences because of our own sinful choices, because of our sins of commission, where we've acted in sinful disobedience, our sins of omission, where we have perhaps failed to act, our consequences, we will have to face the consequences for making things like money and entertainments and relationships our idols, and allowing those things to take the place of God in our lives. We will have to face the consequences for allowing our self-centered behaviors to, to push and to alienate God and everybody else around us. There will have to be times as well when we as a church will have to face the consequences for our behavior, whether it's the local church or whether it's the wider church of Jesus Christ. Perhaps there are times when when churches have not been faithful, when we even as a church have not been faithful, have acted disobediently, when there is unethical or immoral behavior, where there's apathy, where there's lethargy in the congregation, we will have to face the consequences for these things. I can hear God saying to us, I will not let your sin go unpunished entirely. We have to deal with the problems. We can't just kind of slip past them, because without some bad news, without some dealing with reality, we can't fully uh, express and enjoy and celebrate the good news. So we have to acknowledge the problem. But at the same time, Jeremiah's quick to affirm the possible, acknowledges the problem, but he's very quick to affirm what is possible. Now, I brought a description of, of some of my strengths here this morning. Um, how many of you have the strength of positivity? Anybody? Have you done the Strengths Finder? Are there any positivity people in the room? Wonderful. Raise them high. Come on, positivity people. Nice. Love it. All right. Look around you. If, uh, right, one more time, sorry. Because look around at these people. If you are down in the dumps, uh, you're having a hard time, get up close to one of these people. And they will make you feel better about yourself and about the situation that you are a part of. Listen to some of this. You are generous with praise, quick to smile, and always on the lookout for the positive in the situation. Some call you light-hearted. Others just wish that their glass were as full as yours seems to be. But either way, people want to be around you. Their world looks better around you because your enthusiasm is contagious. Um, You seem to find a way to lighten their spirit. You inject drama into every project. Raise those hands again. (laughs) Drama, mama. Yeah, that's us. You celebrate every achievement. You find ways to make everything more exciting and more vital. Some cynics may reject your energy, but you are rarely dragged down. Your positivity won't allow it. And listen to this. Somehow, you can't quite escape your conviction that it is good to be alive, (laughs) that work can be fun. And that no matter what the setbacks, one must never lose one's sense of humor. Now, I don't think any of us would accuse Jeremiah of having the strength of positivity. We have, uh, it's been pretty clear to this point that uh, this, is not what, this is not a natural uh, kind of strength for him. This is not a talent that is welling up within Jeremiah and expressing himself in these verses. But it is a powerful a powerful uh, teaching, a powerful uh, approach here in these verses. And, and what makes it even more significant, I think, as we look at Jeremiah, as we think about strengths and this obviously not being one of his strengths, is that his ability now to affirm the possible is not just a, nat- a, a reaction of his personality, but it's the very work and truth of God that he's experiencing. When I was uh, a new in pastoring. I went to a class on pastoral counseling. Some of you are like, James, you need to go to a few more classes on pastoral counseling. But uh, I I went to one, and and I remember the person that was teaching the class on, on this pastoral counseling, and they basically said, you do not know enough to really offer good counseling. So basically what your role is to be, and some of you who have counseled with me know that this is about as much as I'm able to give you, is to be a, an encouragement, a cheerleader in a sense, a person that can that can say there is light at the end of the tunnel. God can work in a, in a mighty way and bring hope and bring newness and bring possibility out of your situation. Uh, I probably won't have you draw up your Family of origin, and you know, do all these different things. I learned some of that as well. But I, I kind of latched on to what that teacher was saying that moment because I was like, I can do that. I can be a cheerleader. I can, I can encourage. I can point to hope. Um, and, and I can do that partly because I have the strength of positivity. <laughs> but I like to think that the main reason why I can point to the possibilities. of of newness in life is because I know that God can make all things new. I really do. I really deeply believe, not just because of some personality quirk, but because of the fact that I've seen God at work, I believe his word, and I know him to be true, that out of darkness, he can bring light. Out of the old, he can make new. Out of bad news, he can bring good. And that's that's why we need to listen to Jeremiah. Not because he's a cheerleader, not because he's just a rah-rah kind of guy, because we know he's not, but because he's speaking the very Word of God. When he begins to talk about the possibilities that are, are, are coming to these folks in exile, the promise of restoration and renewal, the exiles, he says, will be freed. They will they will be delivered. He uses all sorts of images. And I hope that you'll read these chapters in full because He uses all sorts of images to talk about the way that these exiles works will experience this, this newness. I'll just share a few. He'll, they'll be freed. They'll be delivered. They'll be brought home. They'll be healed. They'll be forgiven. They'll be saved. They'll be established. They'll be rebuilt. They'll have joy. They'll be ransomed. They'll re- be redeemed. There will be no more sorrow. There'll be no more. Their mourning will be turned to gladness. They will be rewarded. They'll be planted, refreshed, satisfied. They're given singleness of heart and action. They'll be cleansed. I'm telling you, I didn't make that up. It came right from these chapters. It's amazing the possibilities that Jeremiah wants to speak. And I, I, I kind of summed it up into, into three different ones. And, and I I'd stumbled as I read through this little section in chapter 32. A, at the end, if you turn there, verse 36 in particular. And I want you to just look at a few of these verses as we think about some of these elements of the new work that God will do, would, promise to do in the people of Judah. And I think it's the same new work that God desires to do in us. The same work that He's doing even now through His Son Jesus and through the power of His Holy Spirit. The first one is this, this deliverance. The, the first part of, of the good news was this deliverance from, from despair and from devastation. And right here in these, these verses, let me just read them. You are saying about this city, by the sword, famine, and plague, it will be handed over to the king of Babylon. But this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I will surely gather them from all the lands where I banish them in my furious anger and great wrath. I will bring them back to this place and let them live in safety. And remember... Bringing them back to this place wasn't just bringing them back to a place, it was bringing them back to the promised land, to their identity, the place where they, they, they gained this sense of being God's people. He was bringing them back, he was delivering them from, the, from the, the, the bondage of exile and bringing them back to a place where they could live in safety. And I just believe that part of the good news that we need to hear today is that from wherever you are, whatever the The chains of bondage may be holding you. The exile, the the sense of displacement, the sense of abandonment, the sense of loss that God desires to deliver you, to bring you out of that place, ultimately into a new place in relationship with Him. second one is this. He invited them to a covenant relationship. If you look there at verses 38 and 39, they will be My people and I will be their God. That is the covenant formula over and over. And it's the one that they had broken. And back in chapter 31, God talks about His desire to establish a new covenant. And this is exactly what He's doing. I will be their God. They will be My people and I will be their God. In verse 39, I will give them singleness of heart and action. In other words, I will put inside of them, he says in chapter 31, I will write my law on their hearts. It won't just any longer be written on tablets of stone, external, but I will write it on their hearts. And he says, I will give to them this singleness of heart and action so they can live in obedience so that they will always fear me for their own good and the good of their children after them. And I believe that part of the good news is that God desires more than anything else to establish and live in relationship with his people. And so often, whether we recognize it or not, when we find ourselves in a place of despair or darkness or kind of separation, it's the first thing that goes. Maybe it's our broken relationship with him that has sent us there in the first place. Or perhaps it's as we've gotten to this place, we've forgotten about God. Whatever the case, God is quick to say to the Israelite people, I, You will be my people. And I will be your God. This amazing invitation to covenant. And the last part that is really spoken of here is just this promise of a hope-filled future. And you can see that there in verse 40 and 41. I will make, read it with me, would you? I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Everlasting, hold on. Everlasting. Forever. And ever, this eternal and everlasting covenant. I will never, keep reading, stop doing good to them. And I will inspire them to fear me so that they will never turn away from me. I will rejoice in doing them good and will assuredly plant them in this land with all my heart and soul. Amen. We need to hear this. The promise is that when we awake. From our slumber. When we turn from disobedience to obedience, God says He'll be there to restore us to Himself. This is, this is good news, but most significantly, we need to ask this question. The question is do, do you really believe it? You know, I mean, we can proclaim it, we can talk about it, but do we really believe it? That God can take the old and make it new? And this section offers this amazing little story in chapter 32 that I I know you'll look at and enjoy uh, just reading. But this amazing little section in chapter 32 where God says to Jeremiah, I not only want you to preach this and proclaim that I will make new out of the old, I want you to demonstrate it. And so what I want you to do, God says to Jeremiah, is I want you to go Uh, or actually I'm going to send your cousin to you and he's going to offer to sell you a piece of land in Judah. And uh, I want you to buy it. I want you to buy a piece of land among this land in which all the inhabitants are about ready to be exiled and it's going to be completely devastated by the Babylonian army. You talk about declining property values. I want you to buy a piece of land. And the reason, God says, I want you to buy a piece of land is because I want you to buy a piece of land as a symbolic act that there will come a day, once again, when houses and vineyards and land is bought and sold, are bought and sold in this place. I want you to buy that piece of land as as a symbolic act of the fact that you believe once again i will restore my people i want you to buy that piece of land as an act of confidence and trust and hope that you know that i will move again and i want you to do it as a demonstration to the people all around you and so jeremiah does it and so my question really for us was this what field is god asking you to buy today what physical step of faith, what tangible expression of, of, of your confidence in God can you, can you do as an indicator of your, of your belief in God's ability to accomplish what He has promised? Buying a field really is this, investing in God's future. Buying a field, investing in God's future. And I, I just thought of a couple, maybe... You know, just, just a few thoughts that might stir your, your heart on this. Um, in the face of, again, great despair, devastation, personally, or in our church, or in our society, what are the tangible expressions? The um field didn't make any sense for Jeremiah. Didn't make any sense at all. Some of these don't make any sense, but I was just thinking if your, your marriage is on the rocks, right, let's just say it, your marriage is going through difficult times. Everything, you know, your inclination is to just kind of pull away. Just, just pull back and let it happen what happens. But maybe to buy a field is to say, I'm going to have a nightly conversation with my spouse. And I'm going to act in ways that are kind and compassionate. I don't know what's going to happen for sure, But I'm going to act in this way, tangible expression, because I'm believing and trusting that God is going to restore and bring newness out of that place. Maybe your kids are kind of wandering from the faith. And your inclination is to just despair. God, what's going on? Despair about their wandering from the the faith. But maybe to buy a field is to set a time of the day when you get on your knees and pray for your children. Maybe to buy a field in that case is to pray for your children and to maybe invest your life into another child or into another young person about the age, perhaps, of your child because they won't listen to you anymore, but maybe this one will. It goes against all reason, perhaps. But to buy a field believing. uh, You're addicted to drugs or alcohol or food or pornography. It doesn't matter what the addiction might be. Maybe buying a field is to say today... I'm going to confess my addiction to a trusted friend. I'm going to take a physical, tangible expression of dealing with that, believing that when I do that, I'm trusting that that can bring about, or or it it can be a symbolic act of the fact that I know God can bring about restoration. God can bring about newness. Perhaps you're in a relationship, a friendship or a dating relationship that isn't healthy, And your inclination maybe is just to kind of hang on and kind of wait and see what happens. And you know maybe God's made it clear actually that to buy a field is to end that relationship or to make significant changes to it right now. Trusting that as you take a tangible expression, a tangible step, you're symbolically showing your trust and your confidence that God will bring that around. That He will make things new. I... uh, I, I just believe in our, um, in our need. And I'm hoping that as we think about this today, maybe, maybe God's given you a field. Maybe God's given you an idea of what the field is that you need uh, to buy today. Danny L.A.E.D. is here today. Danny, I want you to come up here if you would. And Danny is uh, one of our pastors, and we appreciated him earlier here this morning. Um, but, but Danny, in a real sense, I just thought about this, is, is buying a field. <laughs> and he's, he's taking a tangible expression of faith in these days, trusting that God is going to be bringing about newness and bringing about possibilities in his life. And it's really exciting. Danny has been on our staff, has been our campus pastor in Carpinteria for the last three years at least, maybe coming up on four around that neighborhood. And uh, we've been having just an amazing time learning and growing and pastoring together. And he's done an exceptional job with all the ups and downs and attempts and different things that we have tried in ministry in Carpinteria. He and Josefina, faithful, faithful, faithful. In the last several months, a friend of ours who we both knew and we had consulted with in in ministry in Carpinteria uh, has felt led to plant a church of his own, of, of God's, but a church of his own in Carpinteria, and has invited Danny to come along and partner with their church in ministry. They're actually renting uh, the Carpinteria Church of the Nazarene and, and meeting there. Danny had to break away to be with us here today, and that's where he's been for the last several weeks. Um, but, but what he's doing is he's buying a field, in a sense. He's saying, hey, I'm going to step into this, God, and we're going to see how you work, because what we've decided upon is a six-month sabbatical, we're calling it, by which Danny will be investing in, in that uh, congregation. will be sharing in the leadership of it. We'll be continuing to steward and manage kind of the property there for our church and for our denomination. But we'll be kind of testing the waters in a sense to see how God continues to work in that place. And so I wanted you to know that. Number one, so you knew where Danny and Josefina and maybe most importantly, Tara and Tiago have been for the last several weeks. Um, but also so that you know they're not far away. They're still right there in and We can see them whenever we want. And also so that you can be praying for this church. It's called Redeemer Community Church. And our friends there that are leading this ministry. And that you can especially be praying for Danny and Josefina. As they not only engage in ministry, but as they seek God's leadership, really, for even a longer period of time. So I want to just give Danny just a moment to, to share. Grab that microphone. There you go, Danny. Go ahead and grab this one. I just wanted to give Danny just a moment to share just kind of how the Lord's been leading you and kind of what's on your heart as you, in a sense, take this this step of faith, this symbolic and yet very tangible expression of trusting God in you. Yeah.
1: Well, uh, it's good to be back. Let me, let me say that first of all. Um, and I, although I appreciate being here at the end of James's service and his message, I just want you to know that God makes good things out of good things too. Mm. That you don't necessarily have to be in the slum before him to start building you back up. Um, the thing that's, uh, that's, that's interesting for us is that this has indeed been a journey, uh, and we have had a lot of conversations over the last couple of months, James and I, as uh, we first kind of tested the waters, as we first, uh, the guy that I'm uh, co-leading with, his name is Ryan Reed, if we first of all would click personally, and if our ministry styles would click and stuff like that. So that's what we have been doing for these uh, last couple of months. The interesting thing is, When we started getting more and more invested in them, and they, by the way, got invested in us, and I just want to, before I even go any further, I just want, I had to let you guys know on their behalf how appreciative they are. Of what the Church of the Nazarene has done for them not only in sending me but also in the way that we have worked together with them in regards to the building over there and just kind of blessing the overall ministry in Carpinteria so they're extremely excited about this this partnership and they really value it highly and I think that doesn't speak only well of James and I but really of the entire congregation kind of an, a sense of doing business of our ministry together and being able to see the kingdom of God beyond the walls of this sanctuary. So as Josefina and I were kind of going through this this season, and we felt that we came to a point where we had to be either all in or all out, uh, this church was actually studying the book of Matthew. I don't know if you remember that. Uh, I I just learned this week that most people forget about 97% of the sermon in the next three days. So I'm talking about a couple of months ago.
0: You remember?
1: I remember, because at the end of the service, I was here on this altar crying my eyeballs out. And for most people who know me, I'm not a very emotional guy. Um, But the passage was on Matthew 10, verses 37, 38. And Josefina and I had just come back from uh, Michigan a week of uh, vacationing for us, but also a time of prayer of should we go and jump on board and in a certain way leave Coast Community behind, uh, in a a sense. And Josefina had the same feeling as I had. She said, you know what, I just have a deep sense of loss, almost like a funeral kind of feeling over me. And I don't know if that's a good thing or not. So we came back, we listened to James' sermon, and the passage down there says, whoever loves his father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves his daughter or son more than me is not worthy of me. And in a very real way, it was like, is it possible that God is saying whoever loves his church more than me is not Worthy of of my love, and because the thing is, this place. I just want you guys to know that for people who have not been around as long as we have, uh, I feel really old saying that. I yeah, know you've been around. A <laughs> um, this church has been incredibly valuable for us. I mean, I got baptized in this church. I got married in this church. Both my kids got dedicated in this church. This church is really our family. But we also feel that God wants us, wants us to invest in something that He is already doing in Carpinteria. And as we have gone through these last couple of, of years, we have seen that God is doing a lot of stuff in the community that we can partner with. And we started with small partnerships, but this seems to be a big partnership. So we are very excited about the ability that God is giving us to invest in His kingdom and to invest in what he is doing there, even if that looks a little bit different than what I'm used to. Awesome. Thank you, Danny.
0: Uh, Like I said, Danny and Josefina are not moving to Holland. (laughs) At least not, at least not yet. Uh, But uh, they're in Carbonaria. Let's keep them close with your notes and calls and visits and smiles. And also, keep them close in our prayers for their ministry and for the ministry of this church in Carpinteria. We believe in you, Danny, and we just want you to know that we love you. Give this guy a little round of applause.